ever had a message that was so good that it made you cuss under your breath in church in agreement. Um, <laughs> woo! Yes. But I did. Seminary. <laughs> wow, I didn't lie, right? Did I lie? <laughs> Most of my questions are just uh, explanations of words, okay. actually. Just like, and get all the vocabulary well, down. Well, you see, stuff means, oh, I'm just kidding. Gosh. Actually, would really struggle to define the word stuff. Anyhow. Um, but seriously, Jacqueline, that was, that was incredible. Thank you. Um, not only does it, not only does it communicate really powerfully to the folks who are in this room who get it, and it, it helps us understand why the things that we love aren't in antithesis to the word of God, but in agreement with it. Um, but it also just speaks so powerfully. I mean, anytime that you can connect nerd culture to Genesis chapter one, I'm pretty much a fan of that. Um, uh, I had a, a slew of questions like throughout what you were talking about. I would love for you to talk about cultural liturgy a little bit. Oh, yeah. Can you expand on that concept and help us to understand that a little bit better? Yes. If you want to know more about cultural liturgies, read anything by James K.A. Smith. He actually wrote a very lengthy trilogy on the subject, and each book was about this thick. They're very good books. However, his editor went back to him and said, hey, these are great. Regular folk ain't going to read this. Can you say all this but make it fit in this? And then he wrote a book called You Are What You Love. And it explains his, his theory of cultural liturgies. Uh, the idea being that the, the bodily things we move through train us to love and desire the things that we love and desire. And he relates it to actual liturgy, that the physical process of going through the Lord's Supper and baptism are, are volitional bodily experiences that remind our hearts and our minds what is most good and most true and most beautiful. Another example that he uses a lot is from the life of Augustine. Uh, St. Augustine, back in the day, he led a very, uh, he led a very wild childhood. Uh, did all kinds of dancing and drinking and sleeping around. And he tells a story about one of his friends who also came out of that lifestyle. And he was in, this was in Roman times, as you were talking about, and that friend was invited to go back to the Colosseum. And he wanted to go hang out with his old friends, but he obviously didn't want to participate in the games of the Colosseum, which were, of course, very brutal and inhumane. And so he decided, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to sit in the stands. I'm going to hang out with my friends. I'm just not going to watch it. I just, I'll keep my eyes shut. I, I won't look. And, of course, what he found was that putting himself bodily in that participating moment, he actually wasn't able to resist watching. And the principle that he's describing is simply that the things that you do with your body make you want things more. You tend to want the things you eat more and more. The more coffee I drink, the more I like it. And so it's both like a, it's a bodily experience, but also it's, it's volitional. The things you expose yourself to, the things that you do with your will, they are training you to desire certain things. The more I play D&D, the more I want to play it. And so uh, I would highly suggest reading You Are What You Love by James K. Smith. It's a great quick read. He does a very good job of taking all the smork stuff and boiling it down. Uh, to shorter, because I, real talk, I've read the short one. I haven't read the trilogy, so there you go. Does that help? That, no, that's super helpful. That's super helpful. And I think I want to, uh, because I was really fascinated with this idea, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's not mine. And so if I want to go and have, no, but you articulated it really well. Um, 
I, okay, let's say I want to go home and I want to have an idea of what this cultural liturgy looks like and mm. sort of the worship of materialism. Mm -hmm. um, if I go into my local mall today, mm -hmm. I won't have that experience. Mm -hmm. I'll be afraid um, because my mall, there are two stores open. One is Rural King and the other one is Texas Roadhouse. And Rural King is exactly what you think it is. Have you ever seen food and stuff from Parks and Rec? You may buy sheep there, and you can also buy all of the other stuff there. Yeah, exactly what you might think. So in, let's just say in, in 2023, um, what is the, where are the places that we can just have our, our red flags up and be like, this is a cultural liturgy that is training me to abuse the concept of fun as I step into it. Mm. For you, where, 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 are the, where are we going that are teaching us what we should love and oftentimes teaching us things we shouldn't love? That's a good question. Or at least asking for love and fun to be outside the boundaries of what they're intended to be to be a blessing. I think of an example that doesn't throw unnecessary shade. You're, yeah. allowed, to, you're allowed to throw shade. Unnecessary shade. That's the podcast, Necessary Shade. Mm. Uh, actually, TikTok. Uh, <laughs> it's a good idea. It's a good idea. <laughs> uh, TikTok's actually a pretty good example because um, I say this to someone who I, I enjoy a really good TikTok. It's really fun. I get mine off Reddit, you know, like an intellectual. But <laughs> only the best. But uh, real talk, though, the, the algorithms of TikTok are not built for your mental health. If you, they've done enough experiments to know if you make an account where you present yourself as a 13-year-old girl, within hours, the algorithm is feeding you uh, body shaming and self-harming videos. It's not built for your mental health. And that's, that is actually one of the reasons why I've gotten off social media. There, you know, some people even can't be around alcohol. I can't do social media. It's not good for me. Because I was finding that the more time I was spending on social, the algorithms were getting to me in a way that it, maybe they don't get to you. But I was finding myself reading the content, watching the videos, consuming all this content, and finding it shaping me in a way that was making more, me more afraid of other people, more disgusted by other people. Uh, liking myself less, being frankly quite significantly depressed. And so I've had to step out of social media for that specific reason, is I realized this is a cultural liturgy that, you know, maybe I'm just not spiritually strong enough to resist right now. Because there's a certain amount of existing in a fallen world where you constantly feel the pressure of those cultural liturgies trying to push you to love something you shouldn't. And there's a certain amount of just standing on the edge of the ocean and letting the water uh, flow past you without pushing you anywhere. And I just, when it came to social media, I realized, you know what? I'm not strong enough right now to stand firm in the middle of that. And so I'll stand somewhere else. Other people who are better equipped can stand in those spaces. And that's okay. I love that because it was going to tie into my, as someone who's watched one Ben Shapiro video too long um, and the algorithm doesn't know how to send me anything else at this point. Um, and that's literally the only thing that I get now. Um, it, it, <laughs> true and, it and it, yeah and as somebody like I, I've done enough study like I really resonated with this comment right it's that the world that we live in is built and baked to keep you angry and afraid and anxious because those are addictive feelings um, and we hate them but go back to them um, and to be quite frank, materialism is too right mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people inside of nerd culture who are making a lot of money 
off of the fear of missing out inside of nerd culture, right? I mean, I love Kickstarter, love GameFound, but they are a big experiment in how much money I can make on the fear of missing out. Um, and so how do we, who are nerds in the room, um, how do we combat that? Mm. Because, I mean, it is, it, it, it's almost like a primal force yeah. that is just in your face mm -hmm. every single day. I mean, is it about curation of what's on your phone, on your screen? Is it about, uh, like for you, how has that worked in order to be part of fun mm. without being a, sucked in to mm -hmm. things like materialism and anger and fear? No, that makes a lot of sense. For me specifically, I, over time, I, I slowly cut social media out of my life. A little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less. You know what? Let's just turn it all off, and I didn't, my life got better, not worse, so I thought, well, <laughs> science. I, but I, I, of course, then, like, I, I like people like you. I like the content you're making. I like the things you're doing, and I miss that, and so that's actually why I've gotten way more involved in the LTN Discord, is it, it fills that area of, like, online community, occasionally some mindless scrolling through some wholesome gifts, mm -hmm. and for me, that's what I've done, is, is realizing, you know what, I want this feeling of community, of belonging, and frankly, of just enjoyable, fun stuff. I can't get it from, from Facebook right now. I don't have the mental and emotional energy to sort out the good stuff from the bad. So I'm gonna go where there's only good stuff, which is, which is LTN right now. And it's not the only space. There are obviously lots of other online spaces where you can get that. And so that is honestly what has helped me the most is removing myself from the particular cultural liturgies that I'm frankly not strong enough to, to resist right now. So, okay, if that makes you sick, don't eat it. And then eat something else. Does that help? Uh, yeah, no, I love that. I mean, there's this really interesting thing where digital communities of at least semi-like-minded people almost create a curated version of social media for you, which is kind of... <laughs> Cool, like yeah. that's a really cool idea. Mm -hmm. um, okay, let's let's do this last thing and then we'll take some questions. Um, let's say I am a church and we just got done with Trunk or Treat, right? And um, that's great. we need like a month off because mm -hmm. I hate everyone on my team right now, right? Let's just, hype, let's be just hypothetical about it. Totally has never happened ever to me. Um, and, uh, but, but oh my gosh, how many people from the community came out to see the fire truck, right? Mm -hmm. It was just freaking so, so cool. Mm -hmm. So how do we as a church lean into, or church leaders um, lean out of this sort of production, materialistic centric, results centric ministry without getting, with, without leaving the very real thing that if people die today and they don't know Jesus, they'll go to hell. And mm -hmm. so like they'll be forever separated from him. And in some ways we've just learned that the best way to get to people is to produce really good things, mm -hmm. like high quality things. Mm -hmm. Talk just a little bit about how we can lean into this concept of giving and receiving fun as a church. Well, first of all, there's a good book called You're Only Human I'm gonna mispronounce his last name, it's Kelly Capic, I think, K-A-P-I-C. And he talks about how human finiteness, human limitations are a good thing. And one of the things he talks about in it is that the, the body of Christ never stops working, but the body in Christ includes people other than you and other than your church. And while there is definitely a pressure of, there's people dying and going to hell, 
if we don't tell them about Jesus, that's very real. People really do need the saving love of Christ, but you are not the only one who's got it. And there's a certain amount of learning to rest in the peace of God's sovereignty and the faithfulness of his people. My small group leader loves to say, trust God in other people. And so the first thing that has helped me avoid burnout is realizing I'm not the only one serving God. I'm not the only one. There are other people, and I can trust God that he is at work in other people's lives. I don't have to burn myself out. And the other thing in terms of, well, how do we, but we still want to draw people to God. We still want to bring, we, we want to bring people's attention to the things of Christ. What's interesting about that is that even from a marketing standpoint, you are better off having 10 really engaged followers than 100 people who are just impressions. It's better to have a higher engaged small audience than a like mile wide inch deep audience. And so when you're working to reach your community, maybe focus on quality instead of quantity. It's not that the, the millions of people out there don't matter, it's that the one person in front of you matters a whole, whole lot. And that your time is not wasted if all you do this year is, make, is help make their life better. So that's a couple of things I would suggest. There's like a whole bunch of things with online ministry and church and post-COVID world about that impressions versus engagement. And I just would, it's not, this isn't the time, but there is a, there is a time for it. It's one, it's one of the few times in which a, I work in marketing, which can feel a little bit icky because it's like, it's my job to talk people into stuff. But the stuff is stuff I really believe in, but it's still like, oh, I talk people into stuff for a living. Ooh, feels kind of weird. But it's one of the few times when a marketing principle applies perfectly to the church. You want engagement, not impressions. You want a small number of people who really care, not a lot of people who are just kind of aware you exist. So mm. Take the win when you find it. Yeah, I love that. By the way, if you want to hear Jacqueline literally quote from books, just tell you about books. If you want to know how to grow and like lead, you, it's very clear to me she doesn't ever stop reading. I do. I've been reading a lot. Lately. Yeah. Uh, you have to read. Like, if there's one thing, like, it's just like a person, if you're looking for, like, a personal takeaway, yeah, like, a lot of books. if you're not reading, you're not going to be leading. Um, and so, like, read, 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 take notes, read. Uh, okay, any questions out here that you guys have for Jacqueline? I'm sure there's some people have something right over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I got you. I'm pointing you. Go, Matt, Thank go. You. Uh, first off, thank you for your talk. We're from rival seminaries. I'm from DTS, so uh, but it's yeah. Um, That's fine. They they made us read the trilogy of James K. A. Smith books. Yes. So respect. Um, I like looked at it and was like, I should do that. You took the smart way, but uh, the the Got question him. I. The question I had is when you're talking about nerdiness being redemptive, uh, you mentioned that. Uh, nerdiness provides common ground. Um, lo what we love brings us together. Mm -hmm. And a lot of your talk, you kept mentioning the good, the true, and the beautiful. And as Christians, we should be looking for that. And I, I loved that reference, by the way. But one of the things I was thinking through is like, okay, well, there's a lot of things in the nerd culture that there's not very much good, true, and beautiful in certain fandoms. And so <laughs> as a Christian, how would you advocate for ministering to people in a mm -hmm. nerddom con? text that doesn't have a whole lot of good, true, and beautiful yeah. in it. As I, as I was Googling something the other day, I think I was typing in, why is nerd? And the next thing that came up was culture toxic. Thank you. 
Uh, and so, sure, any culture has toxicity within it. Uh, I would suggest uh, two things. Number one is, as you're already probably doing, work very hard to see what is good. And sometimes, sometimes are, are harder than others. Like, if it's porn, it's don't work. It's not good. Just move on. But this happened to me with horror literature. Is I, I don't horror movies are not for me. They're, I'm very squeamish. But I knew a lot of people who loved Jesus and really loved horror, and so I took some time to do research and thinking about, okay, 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 this person loves Jesus, and they really love slasher flicks, and I don't see how those two fit, but they've made it fit. And so taking the time to see what, what is it about this thing that is calling out to them as something good, true, and beautiful, and sometimes that does take work. It took a lot of work for me to finally get, okay, I, I'm starting to see what's true and good and beautiful about horror movies. And it's there, and that's another talk altogether. But so that's the first thing, is to try and see, okay, what, what is beautiful about this that I'm missing? And the other thing is to recognize that a lot of times relational and communal toxicity comes out of, of hurt. And so, yeah, nerds in a lot of places get a bad rap for, for being... Uh, for being exclusionary themselves, for being mean, for being, or, like, we get a bad rap at times for that. And that actually makes perfect sense when you're talking about a community of people that's been very badly hurt. You've finally found four inches of safe space for yourself and you're gonna defend it to the death. Mm -hmm. And so part of what ministering in that culture is recognizing, okay, what you're yelling at me right now is coming from a place of hurt. Where is the hurt? And how can I respond to that instead of the anger that's on top of all of the rest of it? That's helpful. Yeah, that was that was great. That was great. Mm -hmm. that was <laughs> Hello, Jacqueline. Hi. Um, so I think, or let me start again. Um, throughout your talk, I heard sort of. Um, I'm thinking about the concept of Sabbath. Mm. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we even referencing Genesis 2. Um, yeah, I'd just like to hear what you think of, or what your thoughts are, um, in particularly with the receiving fund yeah. on with the concept of Sabbath and how we can, mm -hmm. um, how you would maybe implement that or mm -hmm. how we could do that in our lives. Yeah, I am, I am pretty much explicitly connecting the idea of receiving fun with Sabbathing. I just tend to not, I'm not using that word in this talk and a lot of the times I talk about it because Sabbath comes with a whole lot of, of other baggage. And it, what caught my attention about that was the question of what's, okay, we're made in the image of God, he's creative, he's, you know, he does all that. That's pretty standard. That's theology you can find in lots of books. What I actually have had a lot of trouble finding is what does it mean that God rests and then commands us to rest? What is happening that God is doing that we're supposed to do too whenever he doesn't sleep, he doesn't stop moving, as it were? And so what, what has shifted my entire perspective about the notion of Sabbath is thinking of it as how can I position myself to thankfully and joyfully receive a good gift from someone else? Because I'm used to thinking of Sabbath in very religious terms, which is not wrong, you go to church, you read your Bible, you pray. A lot of people are really into taking long walks in the forest. I grew up in West Texas, so I don't know that. But I'm used to thinking of it in those, those pretty typical religious terms, and so shifting my focus from how can I make rest about joyfully accepting a good gift from someone else, be that God. And 
that actually revitalized the more religious side of Sabbath for me because I went into church thinking, how is this whole experience a gift to me? It's a really great gift to get to sing about the truths of scripture with people I love that I'm going to spend eternity with. It's a really good gift to listen to someone else help me understand scripture better. And so that has been the shift in my focus that has really changed how I Sabbath of how can I receive a gift from this as opposed to how can I do a spiritual thing? Jacqueline, I want to expand on that just a little bit. As a pastor, I frequently feared Sabbath, <laughs> right? Um, because I can't sit and not work and feel like I'm not, I can't sit and not accomplish something without mm. getting almost within hours depressed. Um, and so like, I'm always wanting to do something, to produce something, to expand. That's why I love leveling up, yeah. right? Yeah, love it. Um, so uh, here, here's my question. Like, just personally, because mm. my pastor once said, I'm relearning how to Sabbath. And when I wake up on my Sabbath, it should be the day that I'm most excited for and ready to enjoy mm -hmm. in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So for you, what is the thing that makes you most excited to Sabbath? Like, what is the thing that you're like, wow, this is Sabbath for me in some capacity. Mm. I'm receiving fun in, in this day. I, I love to sit in the comfiest chair in our living room, read a book, preferably fiction, and drink coffee in silence. That's really great for me. Like, I get giddy about it. And so for, it's just, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to drink the coffee. No one's going to talk to me for an hour. Uh, for me, that is, that is a very Sabbathing moment of just getting to sit down and read. And because I read so much for research, reading fiction is, is, is really great Sabbath for me because I'm not, my brain isn't going, okay, what am I learning? How do I fit this into this? I like doing that. Research is fun for me. But reading fiction is more like, how can I accept this good, beautiful story this person has written just as a gift and, and let it shape me because it's something good that I'm accepting. Mm. So that's the particular, that's one of the particular things in terms of like, how does Jacqueline rest? How does Jacqueline Sabbath? Just, I like quiet. I like coffee. I like enjoying a good story. Mm. Love that. Mm. Oh, we have time for one more. Who do you want to go? Yeah. And then you can talk with Jacqueline. What was that? <laughs> Are there a lot? I got one. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. okay. There's like nine. Good. Uh, he might rage if we tell him no. So. I was going to say, uh, hopefully this doesn't take too long. First of all, I want to say, you have been my favorite speaker so far this yes. weekend. Uh, not weekend, this yeah. week. Yeah. Thank you. It feels like a weekend. Yeah. I don't even, what day is it? What year is it? <laughs> I don't know anymore. Anyway, one of the things that you hinted at that I would like to hear at least a little bit more about is the starvation and mm -hmm. the gluttony when it, come, and when it comes to fine. Because I agree with everything that you're talking about, but one of the things that I've observed, particularly in Christian culture, is it, all, it invariably seems like Christian culture's response to, we'll say, the gluttony mm. of secular culture is asceticism. Hmm. And it drives me nuts because it, you know, cause this yeah. bizarre form of asceticism. If too is, much is bad, then none is yeah, good. Yeah, that, that becomes valorized. So how do you, hmm. you, know, how do you address that? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, when I, when I talk about how, so two things. First of all, whenever I talk about how receiving fun works like there's so much gluttony and starvation. I, I'm, I'm, in addition to what you're talking about, talking about, quite frankly, socio-political and economic inequality. 
I'm over here with way more of something than I need, and someone over here has, has nothing. And that's not how the world is supposed to work. The good gifts of God are supposed to flow more freely than that, so that everyone has something to enjoy. And that's, again, that's nothing groundbreaking. But in terms of, like, we do see the world eating too much in a, in a metaphorical sense and in a spiritual sense, so how do we respond to that? Um, thinking in terms of gift-giving has been revolutionary for me. You, you eat differently when it's something someone cooked for you that you know in their home, as opposed to something you grabbed really quick at the McDonald's and you're zipping through the line. We're not just acquiring something as a commodity, we're receiving it as a gift. And you don't get a gift, you have to get a gift from a person. Uh, gifts only happen between people. I can't receive a gift from a robot, you know? which is one of the reasons why AI and art is concerning for me, because art is a gift, but this is a robot. So that's another, I'm gonna work on that. I don't have a good thesis on that. But the shift in perspective of, it's not a matter of, the thing is not the problem. The problem is not the hamburger. The problem is how you're choosing to receive the hamburger. And for me, shifting my perspective of this is a gift that a real person put effort into making in hopes that I would enjoy it, I slow down and I enjoy it more fully and I pay better attention to it, which actually keeps me from, from overeating in, in every sense of the word. I eat less if I'm actually enjoying the food I like. And I also, I don't feel the need to binge one episode after another if one episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer leaves me going, God, I'm gonna have to think about that for a hot second, you know? <laughs> Is Spike a good person? I don't know. Should I ship him with Angel? Wait, no, the other way. Anyhow, so that's the shift in perspective of it's a gift and I'm receiving it. It kind of slows you down and helps with spiritual portion control, as it were. I feel that with Star Wars media, but I do binge it so that I can be hurt all at once yes. instead of spanning it over weeks. I, Watching big mm -hmm. Star Wars fans being being upset about Star Wars seems to be part of the fun. Oh yeah, all Star Wars fans only like one and a half things. Yeah, I, I can I get a it. A true Star Wars fan. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's go back here, and then I I promise if you want to ask questions, we have an hour break right after this before we go to our second keynote, so you'd be able to come up and chat with Jacqueline. Hi, Jacqueline. Hiya. Uh, Kelly, I'm UMC, I'm at Perkins, so we're just sworn enemies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, first off, I think you're brilliant. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing your heart and your wisdom and your insight with us. Um, I think in your talk, you talked a lot about kind of um, others. You talked a lot about our focus on our kind of cultural understanding of the inner workings of joy. And, and um, uh, you talked about Sabbath now and answering some questions. You talked about finding others in the community. They're kind of up to things, and you cautioned against we're all inspired and excited to go back into our places and, like, hey, pump the brakes for a sec and see kind of what's going on. Um, I think part of the theme of MCMS that I love is there's this overwhelming data that shows the mission field and the need. And it's really, I think, everybody in here is kind of like, it's like really struck our hearts of, like, how much we need to go and love people well and create relational ministry. Mm -hmm. Something I think you have unique and really great insight in is also the concept of self-care. Mm. So as we leave this place and we're very motivated and there's this giant mission field and we're all working really, really hard, what are the rhythms or, or tangible things that you would encourage all of us to kind of practice or, or look into as far as making sure that's also manageable, that mm. we're the best versions of ourselves mm. um, and we're doing that healthily? Yeah, a uh, couple things. 
the first one being is partnership. One of the things that I really love about my denomination is that we, we build a lot of structures that let us work well together. That's why we have things like the International Mission Board. Let's put all our money in one pile and let's use it for missions. Awesome. Um, and so the first thing I would suggest is partnership. You'll burn out a lot more slowly if you're not the only one burning. That came out darker than I meant. <laughs> We'll fix that in post, it's fine. But yeah, start with partnerships. Make sure you're not the only one working in, in like make sure you can find ways to not be the only one uh, working, even if, all, even if all that partner is providing you as a sounding board for your frustrations and some emotional support for whatever you happen to be dealing with. And the other thing is, is sustainability. Uh, I have a joke in my office that we have our core values as a company and they're all very good Christ-centered, student-focused, that type of stuff. But my seventh core value is sustainability. Sustainability. If it's not sustainable, please don't do it. Find a way to figure out, it, it's worth the time it takes on the front end to figure out how can I keep doing this in a sustainable way as opposed to uh, just, it, it's worth taking the time, how do I figure out how to do this sustainably? Um, and that sometimes takes time and effort, and sometimes you do have to start getting moving to figure out what it's even going to take before you figure out where you're going to get what you need. But sustainability is important, and not being alone is also important. And one of the things that has been very helpful for me is what, what I've said before from my small group minister is uh, to trust God and other people, to trust God that... Uh, it's actually very freeing for me to remember that there are other denominations in the world other than the Southern Baptist Convention. We're not alone. <laughs> there are other Christians who, who love the lost and want to serve them. And so keeping that in mind when uh, the little voices in my head are telling me to push me further than I know I need to go. Sabbath is an act of, of faith for me. Um, yeah, Sabbath is an act of faith for me. I'm going to take a nap because I believe God is sovereign. And that is very hard for me to believe. Uh, but I'm taking a nap now for 15 minutes in faith that God will sustain this work. And when I wake up, I will go right back to it. So, that's I, I hope that word right there is heard by the people who are at our pre-con. Um, people who streaming, creating, who generally oftentimes believe that they are alone and that they have to do it alone, and they have to create alone, and that partnership um, is actually uh, unhealthy for them in a, in a world where there's some level of scarcity yeah. um, in terms of resources and people I mean, churches, and things, churches so. feel the same way. You, yeah, go, sure. you drive through a town, you see 10 churches. Are they working together? Probably not. And there may be really good structural, logistical, even theological reasons why they don't work together. But on some level, there are, it is worth remembering that there are other people who love Jesus um, within your faith community, on the fringe of your faith community, in similar faith communities, and that finding those places where you can work together with a, with a clear conscience, if there are theological differences, it's worth it. It's really worth it. Amen. Can we give Jacqueline just a round of applause? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you.